on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. I would say it, it ties back to some of the stuff that initially drew me to his work in Maps of Meaning. He would talk about the idea of the divine individual. And, and as you were just speaking to the idea of meaning, the psychology of meaning, how it's so important for people to find what is meaningful and how it, when something interests you, there's something really powerful there. And you don't necessarily understand why it is that something interests you. And there's almost... Um, it goes to a deeper layer. There's almost a divinity to it. And to really pay attention, if you want to get to know yourself in a deep way and to kind of fulfill what your purpose is, you have to really pay attention to all those little things that come up. And then at the same time, it's also really important to to tell the truth, to be honest, to to speak your truth, because otherwise you start warping reality and warping your own mind and and then you know how much can you trust those little voices inside which are so important to guide you so I, I do think the idea of the divine individual and meaning and telling the truth um, have been central to what he's been speaking to throughout all of this time what does it mean to be a man today the old archetypes of masculinity are dissolving and the new ones are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric collapse, how might we look to the old myths for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculine. By now, chances are pretty good that you've heard the name Jordan Peterson and already have a strong opinion about him. Back in 2016, he was the controversial Canadian academic who refused to agree to the mandated use of gender pronouns at the University of Toronto. This resulted in a massive debate on whether he was taking a stand for free speech or simply a bigot who refused to bow to the progressive future. Since then, his popularity has exploded. With the release of his new book, 12 Rules for Life, he has become a YouTube star and been called the most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now. On today's show, my guests are Patricia Marcaccia and Maziar Gaderi, co-directors of the new documentary titled The Rise of Jordan Peterson. The film has just finished a North American theatrical tour and is now available widely online. In this interview, we discuss the journey of making the film, the reasons why he is misunderstood by the political left as well as the right, and the mythic lens by which to understand his crusade in this cultural moment. Patricia and Maziar, thanks for taking the time to join me this uh, afternoon. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I'd love actually for you to just give a brief situation of the moment. I understand you just returned from touring the film Rise of Jordan Peterson and maybe just speaking to yeah where you are in this moment that you just landed after what was sure to have been a, quite an adventure. Mm -hmm. Well, we just got back to Toronto, which is where we live, uh, about an, uh, a day ago. And we were traveling for a month to New York, Vancouver, Portland, LA, Texas, actually. I think the probably the biggest leg of our tour was in Texas. Mm -hmm. And these were all community screenings that Maz planned. While I was planning our wedding, he was planning our film tour. <laughs> the summer. And here we are back in Toronto. Maz has a bit of a cold and we've got another screening in Toronto tonight. So it's good to be home. Mm. So I understand that this film actually 
wasn't the initial idea you had to follow Jordan as the main subject of a documentary, mm -hmm. but I'd love to hear an overview actually about how you both came to, to this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if it had just been that I found out about the videos Jordan released in 2016 and it was the idea of free speech and political correctness versus trans pronouns and human rights laws, it wouldn't have been the story that I chased to make. Mm. I had known about Jordan's work actually for quite a long time, back when I was a psychology undergrad student mm. in probably around 2003, I think, is when I first discovered his book, Maps of Meaning. And I was in my existential space of trying to figure out the purpose of life, taking philosophy, psychology classes, and his work was the perfect thing to land on. Also because because I, I come from a very religious uh, Italian Roman Catholic family, and I, I went away from religion at a young age. And I found that there was something about his work that filled in that gap for me just because of the kinds of topics he would talk about. They were sort of in that religious space. So it was something that I was drawn to and, and continued to go back to looking for interviews that would come out at that time on TVO, the uh, Ontario broadcaster here. I had this thought of making a documentary about him for many years. Mm. It was just something at the back of my mind, both because I found his work so interesting and because I was curious about the person behind the mm -hmm. work. He talked about, in his introduction to Maps of Meaning, he talked about having had nightmares during his teenage years about the end of the world. Mm. And he took so seriously this problem of trying to answer and understand the nature of evil. And it was something personal to him. So I just, I just had this inkling that there was an interesting story there. And it felt like something important to pursue and I didn't really understand why and of course I had no idea what was to come mm -hmm. and so I approached him in spring 2015 started making a completely different film a year and a half later he came out with those videos and I quickly realized I had to switch directions and kind of put what I was doing on on pause so that I could try to make sense of this new situation mm -hmm. that was evolving hmm. Well, it's interesting you said you came from an initial interest in his work rather than coming from the controversy, which many know from the sort of refusal to use or, or to mandate the speech of gender pronouns within the, within mm -hmm. the university. I find that's actually fascinating because, I mean, I myself came to first be curious about him from the controversy and mm -hmm. largely, perhaps like many, took somewhat at face value, a lot of the critiques that were going on, you know, calling him a bigot and white patriarchal, you know, custodian, whatever, all that stuff was coming out. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. it was fascinating because on the one hand, it is easy to receive that perspective and say, okay, well, that's, I guess, what's going on and then, you know, make a decision. And then it was fascinating to me about how, you know, I would see people comment about um, him and the issue and just like the amount of comments that would come in, deeply divisive around mm -hmm. uh, around him or what he was saying was that was the profound part that actually caught me so it wasn't so mm -hmm. much the even the content of what he was saying but just how yeah how polarizing he was in the culture at large mm -hmm. and then i got curious mm -hmm. and said okay well what's he actually on about and then you know began watching videos and listening to some of his own podcast interviews and i feel like i certainly got a lot more of a, a breadth of of yeah his own like quite extensive work in the field of of yeah, trying to understand meaning, trying to understand the nature of evil, as you said, um, but using the lens of mythology and archetypes and, you know, sort of a broad historical understanding. And I would love for maybe for you, even before we get into sort of what, what came after the controversy, but 
like how do you understand him in yeah what what's been his central thread for for his own inquiry into you know not just his own say academic work but you know as a person being so close to him these last few years what oh, has been his central thread? Gosh, it, it's, uh, it feels like a, a big question because I guess, I mean, if I look at that in the broadest sense, looking at it from before this controversy started and how we knew him and how we know him now and throughout all of that, I would say it, it ties back to some of the stuff that initially drew me to his work in Maps of Meaning. He would talk about the idea of the divine individual. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as you were just speaking to the idea of meaning, the psychology of meaning, how it's so important for people to find what is meaningful and how when something interests you, there's something really powerful there and you don't necessarily understand why it is that something interests you. And there's almost, um, it it goes to a deeper layer. There's almost a divinity to it and to really pay attention if you want to get to know yourself in a deep way and to kind of fulfill what your purpose is, you have to really pay attention to all those little things that come mm. up. And then at the same time, it's also really important to to tell the truth, to be honest, to, to speak your truth, because otherwise you start warping reality and warping your own mind. And, and then, you know, how much can you trust those little voices inside, which are so important to guide mm. you? So I, I do think the idea of the divine individual and meaning and telling the truth have been central to what he's been speaking to throughout all of this time. Mm. That's interesting too, because there's a couple of places I could jump off there, but one maybe to, to bookmark that for a second and say, so when the controversy erupted initially, and you've documented it, I thought quite well in the film, which by the way, maybe praise to both of you, it's very beautifully put together. Thank yeah, you. especially, I mean, uh, as a filmmaker as well, you know, certainly tracking um, maybe certain technical or, or stylistic elements that I've appreciated. Just funny enough, a lot of the interiors you shot of his home were actually really beautifully put together, I felt, mm-hmm. in a way, actually create a sort of unique, I think, shooting opportunity. Often I find interiors like that, especially what seemed like narrow Toronto homes can be challenging. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, kudos for, uh, for making it look pretty compelling. I mean, he, his <laughs> space is deeply intriguing as well, of course, from the, it seems like Nazi era or communist era, large paintings, you know, adorning felt like every cranny of the place. And mm-hmm. certainly uh, in a way kind of it felt like almost externalizing his internal world of yes. the ways that he's maybe yeah, yeah. constantly either grappling with or, or battling. And yeah, I'd be curious if either of you maybe have a comment on that. What was it like to shoot in his space and to be in a way like inside his mind in some ways? Yeah, like I, I, I think Jordan himself would say that's exactly the kind of home he always wanted to live in mm-hmm. and the kind of home that he wants people to come into. Mm-hmm. He wants to continue to be reminded of these monumental, tragic, quite masculine, I think, figures throughout history and to, I guess, to help guide him, guide his philosophy mm-hmm. and kind of think about why that happened, why it happened and when it happened. But a funny anecdote about that is that Tammy, his wife, and the family, I guess, they decided to actually uh, take all of that stuff down, and they they broke down some walls, and they made the uh, they completely renovated the house mm. and made it more open concept, mm. and they've removed almost all of the paintings. Mm. Uh, I, I think Tammy said that he's allowed to have them in one room now. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. Well, yeah, so, so that's a funny though. So it doesn't it, it doesn't exist like that anymore. So we're happy we got that glimpse at the time because it really drew in and it really inspired a lot of the artwork Mm -hmm. that came out from the film, like specifically our poster. 
whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like I want to explain a little bit the concept behind the poster because mm-hmm. there's like a thousand stories in mm-hmm. here. Basically, what we have here is that we have Jordan Peterson kind of larger than life with a kind of stern, almost immortal look on his face, mm-hmm. and behind him is a stained glass. And on top of him is the lobster. He always talks about the hierarchies of the lobster <laughs> mm-hmm. surrounded by the forbidden fruit. Then you have the little frog on each side, an ode to Pepe. Then on each side, you have the dragon eating itself. And these all speak to the different elements of mythology that he brings up and he constantly brings back. Mm-hmm. Then when you look at his torso and his shoulders, you have the, the big split between the left and the right. So on the left there, you have the hints of red, you have Antifa, you have the masked condemner, you have a they-them sticker, you have the angry person on the megaphone. Mm-hmm. And then on the right, you have the blue. You have the woman... grabbing at him, uh, seeing him as a messiah. You have a young man wearing kind of a mask of Jordan Peterson, but kind of cowing behind Mm. it. So this is something that I found a lot as we're going on tour, where you'll find young guys that are looking for direction, they're looking for something to follow because they may not have in other parts of their life. So what they do is they they tend to kind of mimic the things that Jordan says Mm -hmm. and kind of just repeat it. So that's kind of an ode to that where they cow behind a mask of Jordan wanting to be mm-hmm. him. And then under that, it's a bit hard to see, but but nestled in the darkness there is a, a guy with a vote button and a, kind of a sinister look on his face. That represents kind of like the right-wing political pundit mm-hmm. that could care less about any of this stuff, but only thinks about how it can be used for them to win the next election or just kind of make liberals look stupid, you know. Mm. So all of these figures and these selfies and everything in between have all kind of helped to create the persona of Jordan Peterson Mm -hmm. that's kind of much larger than life, Mm -hmm. whether he's a villain or a messiah. And the scaffolding on his shoulders indicates, you know, this is still kind of like a work in progress. I mean, everybody talks about this guy Mm -hmm. and it's separate from the human being himself Mm -hmm. and more about this persona. And yeah, it looks like there's a halo around him and his rise in the sense of any any rise of any controversial person who is controversial at the start mm-hmm. gets perpetuated by the fact that, you know, news these days is very much excited about, you know, if it bleeds, it mm-hmm. leads. This idea of like, give me the most provocative stuff, I'll exaggerate mm-hmm. it, and I'll make it front page. Sure. And that has a lot to do with YouTubers, social media, mm-hmm. and kind of YouTube culture. So those are some of the themes we've been playing with in the film. Mm. And and I would just add to that, the way that we depicted the poster also speaks to Ian. I love that what you were saying that drew you to to this idea of Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. and what was so interesting to you was actually the, the fact that he became so polarizing in that phenomenon and like trying to understand what was underneath mm-hmm. that. And that was certainly something that really fascinated us too. Mm-hmm. And that's why we depicted the poster the way that we mm-hmm. did. Wow. I love the, the amount of uh, yeah symbology that you've woven in and it really speaks to i think yeah your your tracking of and and nuanced understanding of all of these different perspectives you know i wanted to take us back to the controversial moment which felt like again this idea of his unwillingness to to accept sort of mandated um use of pronouns within the university mm-hmm. and um, what i saw i think you well depicted it in the film is that uh from the you know often they've sort of got this brand now of the sort of swjs um social justice warriors mm-hmm. SJWs, SJWs that's yeah. it. And, uh, <laughs> and in this case, I thought you were actually fairly tender with the gender activists because they themselves, of course, mm-hmm. are uh, in a way subject to the consequence of a culture that itself is often very hostile to 
that, right, Absolutely. those that don't fit into, yeah. you know, the, the boxes of gender. And so what I saw, though, was there, in a way, like, be, maybe one way to describe it is like a trauma response, which mm-hmm. informed then, therefore, sort of vectoring at Jordan, uh, or Mr. Peterson as the, you know, again, one more sort of, you know, patriarchal white man that's keeping upholding the status quo, which is quote, causing trauma to mm. those that are subjected to that. And mm. for Jordan's side, it seemed very clear for him, it was a question of, you know, sort of protecting against a sort of ideological driven, sort of slippery slope to him towards, you know, all the way to the, the gulags. And so in that sense that it was almost like the two sides, or, you know, I even use the word side as a kind of, they're not actually kind of, they're like ships in the night. They're actually not in a way yeah. talking about the same thing. And yet when the um, the controversy erupted, and of course a lot of the detractors would come at him, I think you made a point in the film later where, where he jokes about it saying, you know, it ends up making him more sort of a champion of the, I don't know that you even call them the right, but champion of the other side who then you know are, are, right. are boosting up his book sales and all this stuff so he's sort of in a way flabbergasted in some sense by how that's vaulted him up into the public eye because mm-hmm. in a way again it's like they're not actually talking about the same thing um, and one is again coming from a place of deep pain and maybe my question there too is um, by misapprehending who they understand him to be like I think it's really creating a kind of yeah, inability to make contact actually. And on the other hand, um, that there there is a cultural moment here that's really fascinating to me. And if I look at it through the lens of archetypes, that and this is the best sort of articulation, maybe I'll I'll, I'll speak and I'd love for you to to comment on it. Is that I believe it seems like Jordan comes at this moment for this understanding that we are sort of sliding into chaos, right? Like a, a lot of the I think you said that you know the axioms of the this moment of how we understand you know everything from gender to you know the the nature of order or that the you know this idea of maybe the masculine principle is to bring order and in this era of you call it the breakdown of the the sort of axioms of order that we've been in that he's sort of reacting to or in a way trying to champion against this dragon of chaos and so at the same time, on the other side, like again, this idea of those that have been, say, subjected or wounded, and, and often the, let's say, the progressive left, are in a way like deliberately, consciously or unconsciously, dismantling like the the categories that actually define society because they believe them to be inherently oppressive or on, like, fundamentally mm-hmm. based on power dynamics. So it's this fascinating battle that's going on and curious to know like is that what you saw in him and how does that relate to you know how people see him consciously or unconsciously either you know a champion for them so often by again those that are kind of disoriented like young men about how to be men in this time you know deeply disoriented by this this kind of crumbling of the the categories by which they understood themselves to be and to be purposeful and, and you know how to be measured as a man are lost in that sense and here's Jordan speaking to them and saying, hey, you know, clean your room, <laughs> which seems deeply banal in a lot of ways. Yeah. And yet, and yet yeah. is actually a deep insight, I believe, for a culture of men, let's say, who genuinely actually have so little models of sort of loving but disciplinary father, which is also a yeah. phrase Bly used, Robert Bly and Iron John and the whole men's movement was, you know, the, it's like the time of the king of, of or at a time of no father and the hunger for the king. So... All of these to me are alive in this, you know, moment and, and with him, it's so deeply fascinating. And uh, again, I'd love for you to 
maybe speak about that. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's so much here. I wish I had a notepad beside me to make notes mm-hmm. of all the all the thoughts popping up in my head as you articulated mm-hmm. all of that. I think you, I, I love the way that you put that, and I think that does speak to um, the situation very well. I, I think that he's he's trying to say, well, hold on, there are some things in the tradition of our country, of um, our belief system that we shouldn't throw away. We shouldn't throw away the baby with the bathwater sort of of thing. It's like, you know, not every aspect of masculinity is inherently evil. Um, You know, their categories form for a reason. Mm. And if we have no categories, yeah, that that's when he speaks to the dangers of kind of going into chaos in, in a in a form that's just too too much to bear. And you know what can come from there. Mm. It, it, he often speaks to the dangers of if we go too far into chaos, and it, if it turns into this left and you know like kind of like radical left, radical right battle, it's like the radical right is like they're waiting and ready and would love to get into a mm. fight basically mm-hmm. and he's like and and they're the ones who are going to win mm. like that's like when he's like warning it, it's not just about oh well you know the the radical left is going to take over it's it's also about well it's going to call upon this response that we should be aware of if things go too far mm-hmm. uh, if we don't have structure to society mm-hmm. yeah i i agree that all of that has been really fascinating and kind of underneath this battle as I've seen it, I've always seen it's a very simple kind of way of putting it. It's a very simple question, but I've seen the question underneath it as being kind of just like an ethical, what does it mean to be good? Mm. Like there's this like battle of like progressive values. This is what it means to be a good person. This is what we should be striving mm-hmm. for. Like, you know, this is the the highest values that we can strive for. And then there's the people who are backing Jordan that have a very different picture of what that means mm-hmm. and that's always been this question running underneath it all for me seeing the the polarization and the really righteous and almost religious nature of the polarization and, and how it goes so mm-hmm. deep for people mm-hmm. and and also I guess just socially what the experience has been like for Maz and I I mean we've both ourselves politically I guess are somewhere kind of left of center slash centrist I don't even know exactly where to categorize it but we've always been more so in that space a lot of our friends and colleagues are in that space and so just the act of making this film has been really mm. uncomfortable mm-hmm. in in many circles and and I feel like there's been that central question underneath it as well of this these judgments of like well if you're it goes back to the idea of well, if you're giving a platform to Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. are you are you doing something that's good or are you doing something that's you know dangerous or going to have a detrimental effect? And so it, it sort of all kind of leads back to that underlying question. Mm-hmm. So here's something I could kind of say mm-hmm. to speak to the polarization from a kind of personal anecdote mm-hmm. that helps to kind of describe like what happens online, kind of at a micro level, and then if you expand that by ten thousand, you end up where mm-hmm. we are. So here's something that happened kind of early on. I got introduced to this whole thing through Patricia. We were dating back then. We're married now. So I heard about Jordan really just, I I met him as a guy who lived in our neighborhood Hmm. in the annex before I had ever watched the video. I'm not huge on, um, I don't know what you would call it, theory or things like that. I'm just not a more... uh, more into arts, mm-hmm. I guess, in a direct way, mm-hmm. I mean, less into lectures, mm-hmm. though I got into it a little bit more later. So I met Jordan just as this guy who lives down the street, eccentric guy, really <laughs> uh, 
open-minded older guy his kids are you know like i, I could be I'm, i'm young enough to be his son you know so it's a different generation mm-hmm. but it also speaks to a little bit of you know their, their openness and our openness to kind of build a uh, kind of relationship mm-hmm. so then when the 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 political stuff happened with the pronouns i really didn't know what to think of all this is like trans people like really like those are <laughs> some of the most vulnerable like groups visible mm-hmm. these days i mean i mean g- g- gay people g- gay people are good now you mm-hmm. know <laughs> like they, they they went through their through their thing in the 90s and now it's totally okay to be gay even my parents went to like a gay pride mm-hmm. on davy streets just for fun just because they want to see what the big deal mm-hmm. was you know so it's like that's that's in now mm-hmm. you know it's so then trans is the new thing and uh so that's something that they're working towards but anyway when jordan came out with those videos it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit i didn't know what to make of all mm-hmm. of this stuff and i i i don't know if i fully agree with his conclusion but i appreciated his process to get mm-hmm. there and generally speaking like i i generally think that if you're it, you should be able to say what you want to say if you're not inciting violence and if i can tell that you're being earnest in what you're trying to do like you're trying to think out loud mm-hmm. and you know if you have an opinion if you have a right to an opinion you have a right to an opinion that's wrong so i i was a bit worried for the guy i thought he was going to get fired from uft mm-hmm. so i uh, there was a student group that uh, the free speech student group that put out this petition and i signed the petition Uh, to not get the guy mm-hmm. fired and i posted it on facebook and some friends of mine it's really strange it's like some friends of mine were giving me a hard time about about the whole issue but some of those guys they don't even live in toronto mm-hmm. and and i i know what happened because i know the guy personally and patricia went to the free speech rally and filmed it so like i kind of know more about them than this but they were telling me what happened and what i should mm-hmm. think So that so here's a little micro example of what happens online. When people do that, the other side in this case me feels like their intelligence is being insulted, mm-hmm. feels like they're they're just being treated like as if they're some sort of drone that just listens to whatever that's on the internet and follows along mm-hmm. with it. So when you get that sort of experience, what does it do? It just pushes you more away from yeah. the side that they wish you were on and definitely more away from the mm-hmm. center. You know, you just get you just get more and more polarized because you because t- they took what you posted personal personally because it has to do with human mm-hmm. rights, and then their response to you, I ended up taking it personally because they're making attacks on me because of what what they think I think that this is about. Mm-hmm. So it was this really weird, quite personal experience that. I can attest to mm-hmm. that I've shared with other people and they've had similar experiences like people have lost friends mm-hmm. you know through this stuff like people are just not they're they're just not speaking to people on the other side mm-hmm. even you know the split amongst the left you know you got more like the progressives that are very excited and interested in identity and wanting that to be more and more in the arts then you have other people that says i'm happy with equality mm-hmm. i don't need equity just keep it at equality and let's let keep it more loose like mm-hmm. that so there's that split amongst the left and that's a huge debate and um but what happened online and these little instances i've had where i've kind of lost friends is that it's pushed me at the time i i i did a whole loop de loop because now i've reflected mm-hmm. on it and thought back more on it but at the time it just pushed me away more from them and i think the the same thing is true of them for mm-hmm. me so that's part of what's happened where now you know if i was still in that headspace maybe if i was a younger guy maybe if i didn't have 
you know, I was still doing my undergrad and just trying to work things out where the ideas that I pick up from YouTube, I start to think they're my ideas. And if you attack my ideas, you attack me. And then Jordan becomes an avatar Mm. for that, Mm -hmm. right? Jordan Peterson, TM, not the human being, (laughs) the guy, yeah, (laughs) the guy in pixel form on, you know, the red and the white on YouTube is like, okay, if you critique him, you're critiquing my dad, so you better back mm. off. You know, that's mm. kind of what mm. it's like. Like, yeah. they get very, very sensitive. Like, did you see the backlash we got when the CBC cut came out? It was called Shut Him Down, The Rise of Jordan mm-hmm. Peterson. We blocked out Jordan's eyes. We played with the communist red and the poster. Because it was commissioned by the CBC, people thought we worked for the CBC, mm. but that's not mm-hmm. true. I mean, we we sold them the, the TV cut. You know, they funded the initial project. Yeah. People started calling us communists. People started calling us Marxists, that we hate Jordan. We want to take him down, mm-hmm. that we're like reverse racists or all this all this crap that the right wing always makes fun of SJWs about. Well, here are the right wingers doing it yeah. to us. Like it was just really weird. Like they took it so personally. So that speaks to this connection between people have between their individual identities mm-hmm. and the ideas that they pick up and they put in their backpack. If those ideas get challenged... And if they're fueled by the fear of being wrong, they get absolutely crazy Mm. online because what happens online, everybody sees. So it's like a fight in high school. You know, everybody's rounded up. Who's going to win? You know, everybody's watching. So they get more and more entrenched in their their worldview and then start to buddy, buddy up with people that they don't necessarily agree with. But at least those people are enemies of my enemy, Mm. you know. It's interesting. I really liked actually how you portrayed in the film. I think it was right near the in the last third. This idea. I think it was maybe Jordan's friend speaking about it, longtime friend. But this idea that what maybe what the the radical left doesn't understand about Jordan is that he's in a way mitigating a much stronger polarized backlash from the right. Mm-hmm. From and the way I understood it was that because if if say the radical left continues to push maybe as it has, I'm not saying I quote believe this either, but this is my understanding of what's happening, is that in a way it's sort of proceeding in spite of any real contact with like what's going on on the right or from those that are now being left behind, right? Or or told that they're, you know, just not intelligent enough to get with the program you know, to be a true believer and all the rest. And that in some ways to me, this is also how Trump was elected. There was a really yeah. great article, a long one came out around the election where basically it was like speaking to the left and saying, we failed actually. Um, but not to fail to, you know, get Hillary elected or whatever it was, but actually failed to be willing to truly make contact with what is it like to be, you know, that other class or the, the, the quote, the others that are too dismissible as you know, they just don't get it. You know, we're clearly the enlightened, you know, bunch. And therefore, Trump gets elected and they're like, what What happened there? How did we not see it coming? Yeah. But it was actually the yeah. deep kind of refusal to actually make contact. And I see the same way with what's happening with Jordan. And I think it was an interview with maybe Joe Rogan at one point, but he said something like what he saw as the SWJ impulse, let's say to maybe one way to call it is to, to center the victim or the victimization. Uh, is that, and this happened in an interview with another friend of mine um, where we talked about masculinity and uh, she herself was, let's say, more in that worse radical left camp. The way she described it to me was, you know, the response is to protect the victim and then maybe, you know, down the line, then work with the perpetrator, which to me is, again, that whole classic triangle, right? The rescuer, perpetrator, victim. And so what I see then what was happening with Jordan, let's say, is that, you know, in the same way that often white men basically are the 
the incarnate of evil of this time from you know one perspective and that and therefore whatever it is that that is true for them or in their own experience about why they might act a certain way they do is deeply sidelined right on behalf of well they've had the spotlight for too long so now it's time for the you know the rest of the people who to get some to get some support and totally understandable from that perspective but i really appreciate it in the film how you actually kind of i think jordan was able to to basically say look i'm i'm kind of standing on behalf of you even though you don't know it actually like you think there's a talking to the left you think that i'm the bad guy but what i'm actually trying to do is in a way protect you from going too far out that it's going to create a deep sort of reactivity from the right and ultimately you know kind of intensify a war and so there's that's the deep nuance that i feel actually is so deeply lost within again these like micro you know uh, micro wars that are going on particularly when you know mm-hmm. um, ideology becomes identity and so in some sense i see him maybe aware of that too and also from maybe talk, talking about archetypally a bit of this like this heroic aspect of him you know which i see often from you know being out on the road as much as he is and some of the behind the scenes you know kind of intimate moments with him and you kind of seeing this rise of on the one hand the kind of thoughtful academic let's say and even like tender father mm-hmm. and then this like mm-hmm. kind of rebellious like i'm going to show up anyway through those guys <laughs> like i'm coming from and i'm curious again how maybe you saw as jordan stepped into this sea of the way it is out there what changed in him or what did, what what did you notice that shifted because uh, I have read some other pieces where, you know, of course, the fellow you featured in the film where it said his longtime friend, you know, I was one of Jordan's, you know, mm-hmm. biggest allies or supporters and now he's dangerous. Like, I'm curious to track, yeah, for you guys as well, like what you saw change over that time, uh, maybe in the culture too and, and in Jordan. In Jordan, the the biggest change that actually comes to mind is he's become so much more serious. Mm. The film starts off with a scene from 2015 where he's with his family and they're doing uh, his own personality test on him. And at that time, it was still in beta form. There's just this lightness that you see in mm-hmm. him and the way he can laugh and joke mm-hmm. that later on, you just you didn't see that in him anymore. It was like the weight of the world was resting on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And you know there was just so much going on, so much coming at him. And I don't think he ever really took time to reflect and process i mean it's it's insane the amount of changes that happened in his life at sort of light speed Mm -hmm. so yeah this the seriousness i would say is a big change i would say yeah the 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 weight on his shoulders of the responsibility of all of this is huge but back to my little anecdote Mm. and it it's a little bit on jordan too because if if you're in a situation like he's been in a situation like where uh you have people that are putting out hit pieces like okay here's a really good example that new york times Mm -hmm. article called jordan peterson the custodian of the patriarchy Mm -hmm. we met that journalist backstage because we were filming his opener at the uh the queen elizabeth in toronto for his book tour and she totally seemed like a fangirl like she Mm. was like uh, really chirpy and and kind and like oh i'm so jealous you guys get to follow him around with a camera it's like oh okay this is interesting and then when the article came out and I was shocked. I mean, it it didn't, it didn't give Jordan one slack at all. It just it it even criticized the guy's socks. Hmm. Like it was totally one sided. I was really surprised by that. So, so that times like a hundred of different articles and and combative journalists mm-hmm. and people that 
kind of aren't are kind of looking to trap the guy is gonna kind of make you a bit radicalized. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna make you a little bit standoffish. It's gonna make you be like, well, I I can be an asshole too, mm-hmm. you know. I can be I can be like that, and I don't care about what you're doing because I don't respect you, you know. It's that's kind of how I felt when I got that stuff online mm-hmm. from people that I uh, thought knew me, <laughs> you know, and they're putting me in a camp of these other people, and some of these people are white, you know, and I'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's so super weird. Hmm how they're using my own identity like anyway so it just got really personal and i think with jordan it's made him more yeah more of hard skinned more you know keep your cards close to your mm-hmm. chest made him a little bit more radicalized in his own way when at the beginning it was really more like so since you're since you're also a filmmaker let me let me highlight mm-hmm. two parts in the film that if you go back and watch i think you'll you'll pick up on okay so it's the first time where jordan meets lauren southern mm-hmm. and if for your listeners that don't know lauren southern is kind of like an you know like an alt light kind of blogger who worked for rebel media at the time which is more of a right wing tabloid in my mm-hmm. view and uh, jordan didn't really know who she was at all when he first met her and they she was doing her whole thing about how the left is racist against whites hmm. says it kind of passively and then jordan just says well it's kind of funny being white you know hmm. <laughs> you know so it's just this thing where <laughs> they were speaking on completely different mm-hmm. levels and then later on in the film i think in act 3 where jordan is responding to the alt right stuff jordan says you know people say you know be careful who you talk to and then it cuts right to Jordan bumping into Lauren Southern hmm. by accident it's just it's just this serendipitous moment that happened at the free speech rally what we're trying to do there is just to say that in this kind of binary left and right world you have strange bedfellows hmm. that you feel like the only people that came to the guy's defense when that pronoun stuff happened were people like rebel media mm-hmm. you know so they were like okay well they're being they're they're backing me up and these guys raise like 200k for them for Jordan's grad students to continue their research wow. and personality and mm-hmm. political uh, when he didn't get a shirt mm-hmm. grant so things get really confused and weird when you have these people taking care of you when the other people on the other side are totally demonizing mm-hmm. you and wanting to slander you wanting to put up like in these the student groups were putting up um posters in his neighborhood calling him a nazi hmm. you know yeah. so it's like okay well why don't i just buddy up with the people that aren't doing yeah, that you exactly. know so so that's what it was like at the beginning thank god the book came out when it did and jordan's such a good writer and the book is pretty apolitical like pretty much like just a reminder of things young people should know you mm-hmm. know nothing that controversial a lot of other people's ideas in the sense that you know somewhat for some people clichés but Jordan wrapped it up in a in a in a way to make it uh, new for people again so that's good i think that's a positive thing and the book did very well and Jordan didn't need he didn't need those more tabloidy mm-hmm. types anymore mm-hmm. so it cleaned up things in his career and his tour and the tour like we've been there like it's very positive mm-hmm. like people are want, wanting personal guidance mm-hmm. one guy has a terminally ill wife that he just married and wants advice from Jordan mm-hmm. like and he's in tears you know it's 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 wow. uh it's a shame for some people that were totally turned off by the initial political stuff which i mm-hmm. get will never really get to know or experience that side of Jordan and they just kind of brush it away as like 
oh, you're just you're just an apologist for that mm-hmm. guy, or you're just trying to turn down the volume of the hurt that he's caused. Yeah. It's like he's also done a lot of good. And frankly, people on the left, even like a Sam Harris type, a rationalist kind of type, those guys, they can't do what Jordan has done for some of these mm. young guys that don't have dads. Yeah. You know, I think back in 1997 when Fight Club came mm-hmm. out, you know, there's that one line that says, we're a nation of men raised by our mm-hmm. mothers. And uh, there comes Jordan right at the perfect time in a platform that those kids are already mm. on, YouTube, mm-hmm. you know. Videos are free, sound bite, sound clips, short videos, longer videos. If you come from a kind of a Christian-y background or you're just, you're, you know, you're just some white guy who doesn't even know their background in terms of like where you guys came from. And then you got Jordan almost in a kind of like a Joseph Campbell-y way yeah. talking about the significance of the Bible that we filmed. It was it was very interesting, man. Like there were like Muslims there, atheists hmm. there, people of all kind of backgrounds, like just eating up the way Jordan is putting together those stories in a very compelling mm-hmm. way. And it was, it, it was, it was quite cool. I, I, I was like, Oh, the Bible has some interesting things. And this coming from somebody of my background has never been connected to that kind of stuff, nor really even had the interest, mm-hmm. but I, I totally got what they were getting out of yeah. that. And I respected it. And I think that that's a good thing because it builds in the mythology and the magic that people that don't really identify with the progressive left can really bite into mm-hmm. without going the complete atheist mm-hmm. route, which kind of like the Hitchens and the Sam Harris types yeah. take a cool. hold of. Well, it, yeah, it strikes me that um, this time, maybe one way to also understand it is it's, there's really a breakdown of the, the capacity of the, of the culture of society to make meaning like to be convincing even to itself anymore. And I know um, I, I've done a lot of work with a fellow named Charles Eisenstein, who uh, he speaks about this as well, like this, we're kind of coming out of this story of ascent is what it, he characterized it as, this idea of you know, sort of un, unwavering faith and progress. And it's like this linear progression from caveman to the moon and beyond. And how technology, of course, is so clearly not providing the sort of uh, boons that it you know, was promised it would. And we're seeing ecological breakdown and, and all the rest. And um, to maybe to the younger generation specifically, of course, and we see with the climate strike happening and the students are basically like, you know, how do we go to school when basically 12 years from now they're telling us that runaway climate change is inevitable. So it's like there really is this in this moment, like the stories that have been offered even for previous generations of what, what it is to be meaningful or to be good even, I suppose, have, are really breaking down. In that sense, it is ripe for, you know, the, the strong men, the ideologues, of course, that in the earlier generations became, you know, the communist, uh, you know, Lenin and became Hitler and because of that deep hunger for meaning. And so mm-hmm. I see that with uh, Jordan being able to provide a, a capacity to, to make meaning, to, to understand where meaning, how meaning is constructed. And at the same time, there's this shadow element, of course, which I think you also played a bit, which to me really embodied this archetype of the trickster. Um, you know, he's putting on those masks at one mm-hmm. point and, and there's this great line where he says, you know, mm-hmm. which one's you or something. And he says, well, they're both true. I was reminded actually a line of, of Carl Jung where I think he was quoted as saying uh, he would rather be whole than good. And uh, and I think the context of that actually was, which I found out later, was I think he had a mistress actually living on his property for some time. That's why somebody asked him kind of like, hey, is that you got a mistress living here? Or something like that and apparently that was his response was i'd rather oh, i'd rather really? be whole than good you know i'd rather be authentic huh. i'd rather be you know all of all of me than good in that sense meaning sort of 
holding up a, an idea or a limited idea of what oneself is sort of at the expense of having no shadow or no understanding of one's own shadow. And so I see with, with Mr. Peterson there that you've in a way played with that a bit. And I kind of almost like I saw it peeking out through this kind of heroic epic quest that he's on in a way to, to battle back the forces of disorder and chaos. And, and that would be there. I could see that I feel clearly in him. And then there were these moments where, again, it was almost like this trickster would like sneak out and, and sort of in these really intimate moments of kind of like, whoa, like, wait, what is real? And, and in a sense, I'm curious, being so close to him too, like, how was that? Did you perceive also that layer in him? Do you perceive, yeah, like that archetype in, in how he might, I don't know, sometimes even say things too, where you're like, you know, I looked at his Twitter sometimes or he's quoted as some stuff is pretty outrageous. And, <laughs> and some of the videos where he'll comment on things that, you know, again, seem out of his league in a way that not that he doesn't necessarily have something interesting if it was like a dinner conversation, but by someone who's held aloft as, you know, the one who's, who's making meaning for so many, um, for him in a way to comment on basically whatever anybody asks him. Like in one case it was, um, what do you think of polyamory? And, you know, riffing off something that just felt deeply uninformed and yet him posing it as, well, this is the way it is. So I was curious again, how that that feels like it's amplified in his time since the controversy is that his willingness to basically be a spokesperson for anything as part of this kind of idolization came through. And, and again, I wonder, yeah, how you saw that evolve over time. That's interesting because I guess for me, I, I definitely know what you're speaking to this idea of him commenting on pretty much everything, mm -hmm. but I think that's something that I saw happening before this controversy started before he became this uh, larger than life kind of famous figure. Mm -hmm. uh, he would appear on the agenda with Steve Pagan a lot on TVO here in Ontario, for uh -huh. example. And even the kinds of episodes that he would be put on sometimes, I think it was kind of like, well, you know, we can't find someone to comment on this. Well, let's, let's get Jordan Peterson. He can comment uh -huh. on anything. Okay. <laughs> he, he, he always seems to be the kind of person where he can like pull up. He has a lot of depth of knowledge in a lot of different areas and he'll pull things together and can kind of say something interesting on in a lot of different mm -hmm. topics. So I, I guess for me, I would say that that's something that I saw prior to this phenomenon emerging. And it's also interesting for me that he became this figure that was so that became so important for men, for masculinity, for young men trying to find a, a way and direction and what it means to mm -hmm. be a healthy man nowadays. Because also the Jordan Peterson that I knew before all of this was someone that was always very influential and in, impactful for students on campus mm. and was always this kind of life-changing professor. But in the, the Department of Psychology, it's typically more women than mm. men. So I never saw this differential in um, you know, men and women before any of this controversy mm. started. And so that's been an, an interesting evolution as well. And I think partially it speaks to the culture, but also partially to, to some of the things that he started speaking to that he wasn't speaking to mm. before in his classes. Mm. Uh, would you think anything else there, Manziar, as well, on your end that you saw? Related to the trickster? Mm. Hmm. I would say that... So... Okay, so this tour has been really interesting, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we just came out from, uh, yeah, we did West Coast, a uh, bit of New York, and then Texas, and <laughs> some of the people that we've met, 
you know, they're, they're, you know, they're conservative Christians that are hosting us, especially in Texas. Some of these places like actually think Obama was a communist Muslim, well. you know, <laughs> like, like they, like it's really like, it's a completely different world that they mm. live in. And then on the other side of it, you have people that think we're, ba you know, in the coastal progressive cities like New York and Vancouver mm -hmm. and, and Toronto. Not that Toronto's coastal, but uh, basically the progressive elite. Mm -hmm. They think we're bad people because we made the film mm. that they haven't seen yeah. yet. So it, the tour showed me how much worse it actually is, especially in the mm -hmm. States. Like it's very polarized where... People, I mean, how are you supposed to talk with people if you don't agree on the facts, if you don't even speak the right, if you say one buzzword mm. like Me Too or Islam or immigration, it means something completely different mm -hmm. to them, mm -hmm. you know, and it has a lot to do with the media that they consume. So, so it's very hard to do that, especially when you start talking to them, they question your intentions, mm -hmm. right? So if you say something about oh, you know, I'm really happy that ISIS leader got killed. He was such a bad guy. Mm -hmm. But they don't believe that you think that because they think these other things about yeah. you, you know? So it's been this really weird, kind of sad uh, experience in some cases of going on tour and meeting the people that come out for mm -hmm. our film. Those are the conversations I've had kind of before they film. After they see the film, though, because they're surprised it's so balanced, they're surprised that we don't use these SJWs and trans activists or whoever as punchlines, which we never wanted yeah. to do, which we don't think is fair, and it's just not truthful. Mm -hmm. They, it's kind of like feeding them, like they came for Jordan, and they 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 stayed to make we we made sure they stayed to eat their vegetables, you know, because. <laughs> There's a whole other part to this where it's like, hold on now, you, it's not exactly what you mm -hmm. think, and and uh, those people that you you know want to vilify or that you felt have vilified your hero or your dad, mm -hmm. uh, you should know a little bit more about them before you make a judgment. And a lot of them really appreciate that. A lot of them make comments to us after the film about how much they enjoyed that and respected what we're trying to mm -hmm. do. Um, so bringing it back to the trickster, I would say that, you know, sometimes people ask us, you know, on tour, what can we do about the culture war? What can we do? Because it's like when we, after they watch a film that the type of film that we made, people kind of conform to the ethos of that night in the theater, because the way the film mm -hmm. is that it's just, there, there really isn't someone to make fun yeah. of, you know? There really isn't somebody to say, yeah, you're bad, you're a meanie. This just doesn't exist. So they're forced to kind of, yeah, eat their vegetables and kind of uh, be a little bit more reasonable. And then, so then they ask, you know, uh, what can we do in the culture war? How can we support you guys? And how can we make it not as polarized? And what I tell them is that be a trickster, be the mm -hmm. type of person that that goes over the borders, be the kind of person that speaks different accents and languages, knows different dances, mm. understands mm. the side that you are less familiar with. Be a traveler, be an immigrant, you know, be the person that, um, that understands the sensibilities of the flyover mm -hmm. states that, 
that oh he's stupid because he voted for a populist that doesn't care about them it's like okay that's a great way to not start a yeah, conversation exactly. you know it's this is it just never mm-hmm. works this other person who uh sent me a message from scotland who uh hosted a screening of our film she says oh you know i i, I was really struck by what you said because they had seen the q a footage from the premiere there they wanted to do over there in the uk and i had said exactly what i'm saying to you now and she said oh is there any articles or any videos that you can share that i could share with this godmother of my children that doesn't speak to me anymore who thinks my views hmm. are hurtful and i say i said i told her you know like it never works when people feel like you're trying to convince them of mm-hmm. something that they're wrong mm-hmm. about. It just doesn't work, especially when they don't see you as on their political identical side. It just, it just, yeah. it they pushes them more away because they feel like, well, I, I don't believe you about A, B, and C. So why are you trying to feed me D, E, and F? It just doesn't mm-hmm. work. I guess I would just say that. Actions speak louder than words. Posting and sharing articles don't necessarily do anything mm-hmm. except for val- validate your own view and buddy up with people who think just like you at that mm-hmm. time. So it's just fundamentally kind of about being a bit of a trickster archetype where you are, if you're starting to feel like your side is like people, if you're starting to hang out, if you start to hang out with people who dress just <laughs> like you and talk in the exact same accent and use the right kind of mm-hmm. slang, I think you should probably switch up your friends, mm-hmm. you know, because it's way too easy to get into that in-group yeah. and to uh, just just assume that you're right just for the very fact that you are combing your hair from the left to the right and, you know, wear a goatee, you know, or whatever it is that mm-hmm. weekend. Hmm. I like that. Thanks for that. Be the trickster. Um, I think maybe last question for uh, the interview today. And I'd love to just sh- maybe just share a little bit about it. It's just something that came to me one while watching your film and then, also, a lot of my own uh, sort of explorations of, of culture and just understanding where identity and society is sourced. And, you know, one thing that struck me, I think, listening to Jordan in different uh, contexts is that he does seem to venerate really the, the divine individual, I think, as you said earlier, and the capacity for the individual to craft their own meaning from, from the chaotic universe and to therefore implement, you know, bring their gifts and their their ability to make order in the world as a, a kind of yeah, pathway to to a meaningful life. And in, in the other side, he seems to be saying that because in the absence of having a strong, you know, individual capacity of discernment and me- meaning making, that you can be susceptible to ideologies. Um, and he, of course, references, mm-hmm. you know, Nazi Germany and other examples where, in a way, it seems like the the individual's ability to discern you know what is true for them and what is meaningful was given up to a wider you know demagogue or cultural wave of you know getting swept up in mania and and a lot of violence and all the rest has been committed that way and I, i get that and there's also i feel like a missingness which you know when i go back to i think the the origin of the film you said was initially based on uh mr peterson's relationship to an indigenous artist i think uh yeah early days and you know my own experience in learning about and speaking with you know those of um, indigenous communities that there's this idea that you know culture let's say or or let's say a people and and i understand them to be that way that you know all these indigenous peoples they all have a way you know they have life ways they have ways that they do things and their ability to discern 
meaning is seems to be people specific, right? Like they they have a way that you know they've come to, which is largely informed by their direct relationship to the land. So their identity is, my understanding is that their identity comes from the land, right? Like this is how we know who we are because of how we are with with the land. In that sense, that there's nothing, there's no such thing as a universal way. Like that's I guess the, what I've come to understand. Like uh, you know, they never say all men should be like this, and you know, all people should do this. I've never experienced that. They generally, we'll say, this is how our people do it. And so for me, what that represents is like it's a whole other kind of category of meaning making, which is which is um, sort of crafted from or informed by a people specific you know relationship. And so I see with Jordan, who's you know in a modern context of which you know we have the individual, let's say, in their capacity to make meaning. And then we have like the nation state, right? Which is Canada or the United States. And then often there's these identity politics that you know he rails against often as, as not the place to source meaning from. But I do feel there's this absence and I feel it's not just quote Jordan, but it's, it's um, coming from a people or let's say cultures that are actually just an amalgamation of a lot of people that have no meaningful context to their own ancestry anymore. You know, like my own you know, relationship to Ireland and England, you know, I've gone back a few times and I've, I've tried to really do that work. You know, it's been a profound journey. And so I guess why I'm saying this is that maybe to to see, you know, maybe your own experiences, your own lives. Like, did you also notice that absence in a sense that sort of like this this other category, which is often invisible and yet in a way is sort of more deeply resilient um, to draw meaning from? Because I guess my fear is that the individual, of course, is um, that is sort of Western culture. It seems like it is the, the mm-hmm. sort of veneration of the individual at all costs. And of course, you know, other cultures, often indigenous cultures will say, well, yeah, but you're only you because of all of your relations. And so I'm curious again, like how that mm-hmm. sits with you uh, as I uh, articulate that. When Jordan started his lectures on the Bible series, The uh, Psychological Significance of the Biblical Stories, he said to me he thought that would be maybe the most important thing that he's ever mm. done. And that struck me at first. I, I I just didn't expect that and I didn't see why. And I later came to understand that part of what he was trying to do was because largely um, in Western society, it's based on Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. traditions. He's trying to help people recognize that there still is value in these very, very old stories, whether you're religious or not. Like there are a lot of atheists who became really interested in his series. And I I think Jordan was very cognizant of, of both that and of the fact, as you were mentioning, that when we're sort of in this crisis of meaning kind of stage in our culture, people become more susceptible to adopting ideological uh, perspectives that can be really that can lead to really you know dangerous and violent um, forms of collectivism Mm -hmm. and so he continually comes to the conclusion that the sort of healthiest antidote to that is the idea of the individual but but he also distinguishes his idea of the individual from like an Ayn Rand Mm type of individualism and and I don't even know her work well enough to to articulate that properly right now I mm-hmm. would say but it's not about you know only caring for yourself and not caring about your your community or your family or other other you know units around you or recognizing your relationship to society but if you're looking for you know for forming your identity and something to believe in as opposed to just you know centering yourself 
from the perspective of of your identity as you know with your your cultural background or whatever it is to 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 fundamentally recognize that there you are this divine individual that there's this spark in you and everyone has that spark and that that's at least the the foundation mm. but in terms of seeing a gap in that i mean i i know what you mean like i would say in in jordan's criticisms of activism or or you know left-wing activism in politics like i think he raises valuable criticisms but there's often a gap of well you know when you can't just say that like all the stuff that happened in the 60s that like you know it was all a mistake or mm. something like that you know like there are times when activism is needed and and there's like right-wing activists that are by his side that are you know conducting a different kind of activism mm -hmm. so i i guess i do see a, a gap sometimes in just yeah elaborating more on like the relationship between the individual and society mm -hmm. i guess within mm -hmm. that but but at the same time, I do think it's incredibly valuable to give people an alternative story of something to believe in, to center yourself mm -hmm. around at, at a time when it's so hard to to find a story of mm -hmm. meaning in this very polarized mm -hmm. context of our culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for me, it's pretty different. Okay, so I was born in 83, so I'm kind of like a first year millennial. And here's kind of what mm -hmm. I've seen. What I've seen as things have changed have become more compounded. Mainstream culture is left-leaning. It's just, mm. it's probably just the way it's always going to be. I think technology has a, almost a socialist kind of bent mm. to it. As societies become better off, they become more left-leaning, I think. They become more progressive. They become more, they're more interested in helping out the losers of society. You know, that's what I always say. It's kind of like left-wingers glorify the losers mm. and right-wingers glorify the mm. winners. And there is something really sweet and kind and good for that instant gratification of sharing something that's left-leaning on your news feed <laughs> because it makes you feel mm. good, you know, and you don't even think about it that much. It's, it's, it's not even people are like, people have become like iGen and millennials become left lefties by default mm. just because it's what's out there in the mainstream and they're just like, well, okay, uh, equity, diversity, inclusion. Of course, those are good things. I'll mm. go with that. I don't even know what they mean, but I'll go with that. You know, that's kind of what I've seen throughout the years. I've seen it become, you know, a little bit of, you know, Russell Brand kind of bit of reverse racism, kind of railing on white guys. And it was, it was funny and, and it had its place, but it's become so everyday now mm. that it seems like it seems like the taller, the straighter, the the whiter, the wealthier you are uh, as a white guy, the the less of a slack you get from people just just as kind of like a face value you know it's like all about reputation like back in the day when it used to be, oh the black guy uh, at uh, you know uh, down the alley. I'm going to clench my purse, you know, it's like it was about mm. reputation. But now these days, if a white guy says cer a certain a certain thing that I would say at a house mm. party, this guy gets railed against so much worse mm. than I do. So I'm a, so I guess people can't see me. I was born in Iran. I'm a, you know, Anglo guy now, um, but I speak Farsi mm -hmm. still. My name is Mazir. Guy, it's obviously not a, you know, 
I'm outside of the judo Christian tradition. I'm a pretty little guy too, mm-hmm. you know, but I have a bit of a tongue <laughs> on me. So, so I get involved in certain situations where I'm given so much slack by people that don't know me at all. And I could be a total asshole, but they give me all the slack because I just don't happen to be uh, someone who looks mm-hmm. like, I guess, a winner historically in their eyes. I came as a refugee during the Iran-Iraq war with my parents. I went to high school in Burnaby, you know, mixed uh, race in terms of friends and all that. But I just find this whole kind of progressive thing has gotten so much more compounded. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, then there comes Jordan. So he's a response to, in part of this kind of like uh, constant um, attack that you kind of you would get on that demographic that he's from, especially boomers, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, look, man, my family came to this part of the world because there's something that these guys did that they, they did right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and you can't, you, people don't even acknowledge mm-hmm. that. It's like, it's like you want to get, you, you want to get wrapped up in these kind of more lower level, more lower resolution, identity driven things. But frankly, the reason that those conversations are happening is because the system that's built out here and the affluency and the way that government has been made out here is so well mm-hmm. done that it allows that space for these kind of more cultural talking mm-hmm. points to have their space. And again, I've I've lived in Brazil three years. I taught English down there. I was born in Iran. I've went back and visited. And it's just most of the world <laughs> has a pretty chaotic mm-hmm. tone to mm-hmm. it, except mm-hmm. here. And by here, I mean... You know, I mean, Northern, Western Europe, I mean, Northern mm-hmm. America. So Jordan, in, especially in this Bi- the Bible uh, series, he's talking about what Jordan, what Patricia was just saying about how it's not as bad as they're making it out to be. There are magical, mythological things here for you guys, too, because all minorities, all people of color can raise their flag and... And it's like World Cup every day for us. You know, we can talk about we can talk about where we're from mm-hmm. and we get validated and, and congratulated and there's there's street festivals and all these things. And then the white guys just kinda like, Well, okay, well, I'm pretty distant from my roots, I guess. So what do I got? Okay, let me let me see what Jordan this Jordan Peterson guy mm-hmm. has to say. And they get hooked immediately yeah. because it speaks to that thing about them that that says, Hey, you know, there's a history here that that there's definitely some things to be proud of. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. So I think that, that that's that's what's happening here in terms of mm-hmm. identity. I hope that answers what you were asking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'd love to. I think wrap it up now. I've taken uh, just over an hour of your time, and I know you're uh, just getting back from your tour. But also, I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning, but we just caught wind that uh, you're number one on iTunes for uh, documentaries. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Huge congratulations, <laughs> and also, thank you. Yeah, so much. and to say that, um, you know, just as a, I mean, for me as a filmmaker, but also as someone, you know, tracking you know, the kind of cultural perspectives that I really think, given the, you know, the the notoriety of this fellow, Mr. Peterson, and what you've done in the film, I do think it really is a, a kind of an antidote to polarization, an antidote to one one side quote against the other side it really does invite more of a nuanced um, understanding of the complexity of um you know him as a prism in a way for what's going on in the culture at large mm-hmm. and uh and yeah mm-hmm. to do that in film in a such a beautiful way is quite an accomplishment so you know i just want to offer that up to you both as uh, you've done you know, a really incredible job thank you that 
That really means a lot. Uh, we worked really, really hard uh, on that approach. So it, it means a lot mm. to hear that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and I would just add to that and say, like, what Patricia did here with this doc is, like, we hope it can be an inspiration to other filmmakers and artists. Is like, like, nuance, like, d- don't believe what they tell mm-hmm. you, you know? N- nuance works, and don't run away from something just because it's controversial. Mm-hmm. Keep going at it, because because the more partisan art and identity-driven films and advocacy work that comes out, the more... The more I, I, I just feel the less sophisticated our, our society is going to mm-hmm. be. We need to have that stuff where it challenges us and it doesn't wrap up our hero in a golden cape and our villain in the gutter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's somewhere in between that most of us mm-hmm. live. And it's actually very Jungian. It's very like, you know, the the good and mm-hmm. evil lies within us. Um, and to run away from that, I think, is a huge mm-hmm. problem. And to run away from people that other people tell you is a monster mm-hmm. only makes that monster in your head that much bigger and stronger mm-hmm. when really he's just a guy that maybe comes from a different background and yeah i think if you sat down with this guy if you guys sat down with jordan you'll see that you actually have a lot in common mm-hmm. with him and vice versa mm-hmm. right jordan's also part of this too yeah. right like it's also a letter to yeah. jordan it's like some of these folks you know that jordan has never met that have railed against him well we put them in yeah. the dock we want to be like, okay, well, here, here's what they think, and here's here here are they they're in their own words uh, and are uninterrupted. So I think that's what documentary mm-hmm. should be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thanks again. Um, maybe just one line on the if the people want to see the film. I mean, is it uh, in the website address? The best place for them to find it. Yep. So riseofjordanpetersonfilm.com. The company is Holding Space Films. We are all on your favorite social media platform. Mm -hmm. If you're in the States, you can uh, watch it on iTunes and Amazon Prime. And all the links are on our site uh, for you to uh, check out how you can watch the film in your region. Well, thanks again. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your Toronto afternoon. Thanks, Ian. This is great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's Mythic Masculine podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, and leave a comment. And if you'd like to support future episodes, head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash ianmack. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash i-a-n-m-a-c-k to become an ongoing funder. Thank you.